Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Before I read the scripture, I just want to take a moment just to introduce my parents. For those that don't know them, this is Reverend Miguel Vélez and Reverend Ana Andujar Vélez. My dad just retired with 52 years of ministry in December. And my mom has been retired for some years uh, from the ministry as well. So glad that they could join us. Our scripture reading is Philippians 3:17 through 4:1. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? If that is true, then Paul wanted all his churches to flatter him greatly. Because he tells them right here in the scripture that he wants them to imitate him in as much as he is imitating Christ. That he wants them to follow his example, that he wants them to imitate the things that they're doing in order to show their Christian faith. Well, if you know anything about imitation, you know that in order to imitate something, there are certain things you have to do. The first thing and the most obvious thing is, in order to imitate something, you have to observe it. Because if you don't look at what it's doing, if you don't look at how it's behaving, if you don't observe it, how can you imitate it? You can't. You have to observe it. But observation is not enough. I can watch somebody do something all day long, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to understand how to do it. I have to analyze what I'm observing. I have to look at what is being done and how it's being done. I have to understand what the person is doing in order for me to be able to try to do that same thing. So I've got to observe it and I've got to analyze it, but analyzing it is not enough. I can sit there and analyze what a mechanic did all day long and it doesn't mean I can fix my car. I then have to try to fix my car. I have to actually implement that which I've observed, that which I've analyzed, I've got to try to do myself. That is where we get to implementation. And so in imitation, you have to implement whatever it is you're observing. But is that enough? No, it's not enough. Because I can observe, and I can analyze, and I can implement, 
and then look at what I did and go, well, that's not right. I didn't get it right. I look at what I observed and I followed the process and I got to the implementation and I did it and then I looked at what I ended up with and it doesn't match. Now some of you have watched Nailed It, which is a little show on TV that is about cake making and they give them a picture of a cake and all the instructions and recipes and they got to make it and try to make it look like the original. And 99.99999% of the time, it looks nothing like the original. They were trying to imitate, right? They followed the process. They analyzed everything. They implemented it. Still didn't look right. <laughs> but it was an imitation. Wasn't as good as the original, but it was an imitation. Well, yesterday, we got to see one of the greatest examples of imitation at Anna's birthday party. And the reason is, I was playing DJ, and I put on the cha-cha slide, which some of you know is a party song where people are told what to do on the dance floor. It tells you, you know, go to the left and go to the right and do this and do that. It's, it's got instructions to it. It's a song with instructions to it, believe it or not. And we got to see imitation because the minute that song came on, it was like somebody sounded a trumpet and all those kids got up like they had been called to service and they lined up in military lines to do the cha-cha slide. And you could tell the difference between the ones that lined up in the front because they were the ones that, I got this, I've done this, I know this, I know which way to go. And then behind them in the second row were the guys that, you know, I heard this song before, I've tried it before. I don't have it down, but I think I can get it. But then behind them were the people that, hey, I tried it once and it was ugly. And then behind them were the shy kids, the ones that had never heard the song before, the ones that had never tried it before, the ones that were not sure what they were doing on the dance floor in the first place, but everybody else got on, so they kind of felt they had to go. And then the music kept going, and it got to the part of moving to the left and moving to the right. And it wasn't pretty. You had people going left when they were supposed to go right. You had people backing up when they were supposed to go forward. You had people dipping. You had people just doing all kinds of stuff. Then you had the kid that was just doing his own thing in the corner. And I thought, how can this get any better? An imitation took hold, people. The people in the first row who had the moves the best were observed by the people in the second row. And they began to catch on to what the first row was doing. And they said, okay, we got to go left first and then right and then back. And they observed them. And you know what happened? The third row observed the second row. And before you knew it, the shy kids that had never done this before are catching on. An imitation trickled down from the front row all the way to the back row. And by the end of the song... We were no longer moving in completely different directions and formats. The group was moving as a group. 
And it was a beautiful thing to watch everybody moving with the ebb and flow of what was going on in the music. And the kids in the back that had a horrified look on their face when they started were now smiling because they were part of something greater than themselves. And they were celebrating that it had come down to the point that they were imitating the front row. And there no longer was a front and a back row. There was just one group of kids moving together with the flow of the music. Paul in Philippians was writing to the church and saying, I'm inviting you to dance. I'm inviting you to get on the dance floor. I'm inviting you to join in the moves that make for a Christian life. I want you to learn the ebbs and the flows of the Spirit. I want you to learn the calling of God that gets you on the dance floor. I want you to learn what it means to go to the side and invite the shy kid that nobody wants to put on the dance floor because he can't dance and invite him in. I want you to learn what it means to dance with God. Paul was saying, you know, I've done this dance. Me and some of the other guys that have been doing this for a while, we're on the front row. And we want you to imitate us because we know what it means to turn away from sin at just the right time. We know what it means to turn yourself around when you're going in the wrong direction. We know what it means to dance with God and to learn to let the Lord lead and not try to take over. Have you ever tried to dance with somebody that was trying to lead as you were trying to lead? They step all over your toes. And Paul was saying, God wants to lead you in this dance. And he's showing you how through us, but you got to follow the leading of God to do this dance. And Paul didn't just tell them how to do these things. He says, I've set for you an example. I didn't just tell you how to dance from the side chair. I actually am on the dance floor with you. You know, there's always that person that wants to give you advice from the sidelines. He says, I'm not one of those. I'm there on the dance floor with you. I'm on the front row. Imitate me in as much as I imitate Christ. And Paul basically says, you know, we're all here together. We all want to dance with God. And we don't claim to be the best dancers. We don't claim to have all the moves down. But what we do know is that we are following Christ. And in as much as we follow Christ, you should follow us. You know, on the dance floor, there's always that one kid that doesn't know what they're doing. You know, the one that's just doing their own thing in the corner. And he says, don't follow that kid. You won't be with the rest of the group that is going together. Follow the ones that are leading you in a Christ-like way. And why would this be important? Why would this matter? It matters because Paul says that there are enemies of the cross out there who set their minds on earthly things and not on their Christian calling to dance with God. There's people out there that are wanting to do their own thing 
and not following the example of Christ. And he says they might be great people, they might even do good things, but if they're not following Christ, they're not the example you want to follow. You want to follow the ones who are willing to dance with God and yield to his leadership. And Paul explains why our example must be Christ and Christ-like people. It is because of where we belong. He says, you are citizens of heaven. That is where your citizenship lies. And as I shared with the kids, citizenship comes with three things, rights, duties, and responsibilities. To be a citizen doesn't just mean that you have a name and that's it. Citizenship comes with these things. When you look up citizenship, you get a wonderful definition in the dictionary. Citizens of a country. Really clarifies a lot, right? No. So what do you have to do? You have to look citizens up. And when you look up citizen, that's where you find duties, rights, and responsibilities. When you look up a citizen, it says a person that has rights, duties, and responsibilities to a particular nation or country. So if we are citizens of heaven, it means you and I have certain rights, duties, and responsibilities to the kingdom of God. And here's some examples of those because, you know, I could, I, could, I could go all day with all these rights, duties, and responsibilities, but I came up with some examples that we can normally think about right away. Like one of the rights of being a heavenly citizen is the right to know that we can be forgiven when we make mistakes. That's a right, folks. That's, that's a privilege that we have in Christ. That we know that if we make a mistake, God can forgive us. God can redeem us, and we can keep going. The right to serve others in love, that's a right, it's a privilege to serve in the name of Christ to others. What about the right to never be alone because he'll never leave us? What's well, a beautiful right. That's one I always cherish because there are times when we feel lonely, don't we? And to be reminded that we have a right to never be alone because God is with us. What about the right to hope for eternal life? The right to live this life knowing that there's better to come. That's a great right. It gives us hope for the future. It keeps us moving forward. It motivates us to do better tomorrow than we did today. But there are duties. Not the kind the kids were thinking, but Duties is things you do. The duty to learn the Christian faith so we can follow it. Because you can't follow what you don't learn. you got to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The duty to stay connected with God because God wants to stay connected with us. What about the duty of loving even our enemies? That's a duty. That's something we need to do. And it's sometimes difficult to do. What about the duty of forgiving those who wrong us as we have been forgiven? You see how that's both a duty and a right? We have a right to be forgiven, but then we have a duty to forgive others. That's awesome to me. And then the duty to give ourselves away as Jesus gave himself away to us. But then there are responsibilities. 
And responsibilities are almost in a separate category because responsibilities have to do with things that require a response on our behalf. So when we talk about responsibilities, we talk about the responsibility to respond to the grace of God that we have received. That God's grace should not be in vain in our lives. It should call us as a free gift given to us to live different lives for God. That requires our response. The responsibility to say yes to Jesus when he knocks on the door of our hearts. Because he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. He's going to ask to be let in. What about the responsibility to be obedient and walk in faith to his word? That's a responsibility. That's something we are responding to the word of God and to the instruction of God in our lives. So there's duties, responsibilities, and, and rights. So even though we're here on the earth, our responsibility is still to the kingdom of heaven. It is to promote the kingdom of God. It is to continue to live our lives in Christ-like fashion. Because we are here, but we're not from around here. We're actually from heaven. We are destined to go there one day. And our ways cannot be the ways of the world because we're not following the example of the world. We're following the example of Jesus. And he has to be in that front line leading us. And Paul gives us great news towards the end of the scripture. He says that God will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of God's glory by the power that enables him to hold all things subject to himself. And I thought about the illustration of the dance. And you know, this happens on the floor all the time. Somebody comes in there thinking that they are not good enough to dance, that they can't follow the steps, that they can't do the cha-cha. There's no way. And when they're on the dance floor following and imitating those who know, they get transformed. Their confidence builds. They begin to believe in themselves as God believes in them. And they begin to dance. And they begin to feel like they belong on the dance floor. Paul was saying that this transformation does not happen because you've got great dance moves. This transformation when we take on the dance with God happens by the power and the grace of God shown to us in Jesus Christ who called us to dance in the first place. It is his doing in us. The transformation happens because Jesus is the best dance teacher out there. He holds all things together. He invented dancing. He created all things through the word, which is him. And through the Holy Spirit, he provides the ebbs and the flows that we need to walk this Christian journey. And the humiliation ends when we no longer sit shyly in a chair on the side of the dance floor. The humiliation ends when we admit that even though we might not be able to dance through our own strength and ability, 
that when we get on the dance floor, God through Christ will enable us to move with the ebb and flow of God's kingdom. And it's a beautiful thing when all of us begin to move together following the ebb and flow of the Spirit of God. Therefore, in closing, Paul says, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. And to me, that says what? It says, keep dancing with God. Don't be afraid to get on the dance floor and don't be afraid of taking the first steps. Keep learning God's moves. Be ready to follow the steps of Jesus and know that even when you miss a step, Jesus is such a gracious teacher that he will show you how to get it right and give you another chance. Boy, I've had a lot of teachers that weren't that gracious. But we have the most gracious teacher in the world in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes he says, go to the right, and I go to the left. And I need him to tell me, oops, wrong way, this way. And let me tell you, when you start dancing with Jesus in this way, you begin to be able to sense the way he wants you to dance. And my advice to you would be, whenever you dance with God, Always let him lead. You're the follower and the disciple. Always let God lead. Let us pray. Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you because you have invited us to dance. You've invited us to take risks and to get on that dance floor even when we don't feel worthy of dancing with you. Oh, Lord, some of us might be rhythm-challenged. Some of us might have reservations about what dancing with you might be like. But on this day, we just want to come before you and say, Here I am, Lord. Teach me. Move me. Help me. Help me to turn away from my sin. Help me to respond to the prompting of your spirit. Help me, O oh Lord, to just dance with you, following the example of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, today, 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 this very day, help me dance with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The altar is going to be open for prayer. If you would like us to pray with you, you can come to anywhere on this side. If you would like to pray by yourself with God, you can come between the reserve spot here on the green and just have a time with the Lord. Don't let this day pass without talking to your teacher who wants to teach you how to dance.